Good afternoon. Happy Sunday, 3rd of October, to anyone out there watching this live. Why I've turned on the camera and I'm doing this live is to give myself that up on the stage kind of feeling, because what I'm going to be doing is answering some questions I've just been sent in from a group called the Student Voice Network. More on all that in a minute. I'm also recording this. It's going to be a piece of audio up on my uh, podcast feed, Major Mark, where I kind of talk about podcasting and creativity and the workflows and tools and techniques and stuff I use to make podcasts. But in typical podcaster fashion, I got sent some questions. I was going to answer them in text, and I thought, well, I actually want to talk through them and, and talk about them out loud. If I'm doing that, I may as well do this both live and also to tape to uh, produce as a podcast episode. Feeding three birds with one scone. So I hope you're well. I won't be sort of looking much at the live stream here in just a minute. But if you do have questions, if you do tune into this, if this sparks anything in you, you've got any response or reaction to it, please just let me know. I'm only a message away. You can reach me at hello at climactic.fm or hearmediastudios at gmail.com. I'm not sure why I'd give you two email addresses, but they both reach me. I might be at the point where I'm wearing a bit too many hats. <laughs> so we'll see. I've got my questions here and I'll get into it. First, a little bit of context. I've been a reader of Pod News for a few years now, and in case you don't know what Pod News is and why I'm talking about Pod News, it's a daily newsletter for the podcast industry. It's a digest of stories and the news, so you can sort of read this every morning and stay up to date with what's happening in terms of like new big hires of executives or new shows that are launching, things that are happening in the industry. James Cridland, the guy who runs that, the editor, does deep dives and also like journalistic projects on the industry. And whether it's editing a newsletter, it's conducting interviews with industry leaders, or it's like playing the watchdog role when the situation calls for it, James does all of that. And I've also read Sounds Profitable, another newsletter that actually sits underneath Pod News. Pod News is now being a network of news sites and newsletters. Uh, I've read that since it launched a year ago. Sounds Profitable is where Brian Barletta, who's a podcast advertising technology expert, creates educational content for the whole space. Learn and understand and use, ultimately, podcast ad tech. Those are the two people I've got kind of in my mind when I say that next year, early next year, I'm looking to start a newsletter. That's where the bar is set when I say that. This is not just like a, oh, I read a newsletter, I'm not sure who listens or what the point of it is. I'm just playing around. Uh, I'm definitely looking at a, a vertical, a niche, a specific area of the industry where I want to cover to the level that Brian and James cover their respective beats in the industry. So I was recently asked to answer some questions about podcasting for a group called the Student Voice Network. And I wanted to take that opportunity of answering those questions. First of all, I want to do it in audio, as that's the way I, th I think best. I'm going to talk about these questions. I'm going to say them out loud and answer them. And then I'm going to transcribe this and then write my answers out and correct them after that. But I always think personally that um, the chance to discuss something, even if it's a one-way discussion or monologue about something, being able to talk about something out loud is a great way to have your ideas in the first place. At least it is for me. And then I like to refine into the written word instead of 
thinking while writing, because my fingers never seem to keep up with my uh, thoughts, much less my mouth when I'm talking. My mouth tends to go faster than my brain anyway, so that's why I'm doing this. And I'm going to be answering these questions not only from the perspective of the publisher of the Climactic Collective, which for anyone who doesn't know, the Climactic Collective is a trans-Tasman podcast network. It's a collection of independent podcasts that are all engaged with climate change. I published that, so it's not only me coming from the perspective of being the publisher of the Climactic Collective, but also from the perspective of someone who wants to launch a newsletter about the podcast industry and how it intersects with climate change uh, early next year. Last thing before I answer these questions, a bit of context about SVN. It's a group of young people dedicated to taking action on social issues, and it's a platform that makes it easier for young people to connect with their peers and take collaborative action. Basically, I'm a young person, I want to do something about all these problems we're faced with, I want to do something good in society and with my time. What should I do? Who should I do it with? Where's my people at? SVN helps young people especially find their peers and do something together with them. And it's uh, it's wonderful. It's been a pleasure watching SVN's journey after connecting with the founder, Lucy. Hey, Lucy. Early on in her journey and uh, early on in mine as well with Climactic uh, a couple years ago. Okay, without any further ado, I'm going to get into these questions. There's only five questions. So hopefully I don't waffle on too much and I get something useful at the end of this when I chuck it through my transcription service and can edit these down and ping them back to SVN. And hopefully we help young people get inspired and equipped to make climate-engaged podcasts instead of scare them away or anything like that. Okay, number one, why do you believe podcasting is such an effective tool for communicating climate science and engaging with the climate crisis? a really good question. And I hate it when people say that, but it really is in this case. Podcasting, I'm going to talk about why it's an effective tool, whether or not it is such an effective tool, whether it's like uniquely the thing you should do in the face of the enormity of climate change. Like everyone should do this one thing. It's not that. So climate change, as we all know, is an everything problem. It's a wicked problem. It's systemic, it's personal, it's overriding, it's inextricably linked with pretty much everything we do in our lives. I'm one of these people who literally give, give me a topic, pull a topic out of a hat at random that, you know, some people would say well, it has nothing to do with climate change, like sports or art or, yeah, I, I can't even think of a good example that is not easily linked to climate change because climate change is an everything problem. Like everything, everything can be related back to climate change and how it's changing our world, how we live, how we must live, and what we need to do against it if we choose to. So, you know, climate change has been described recently as not being a science or technical problem. Like, we understand the science, we know what we need to do about the science side, we, we know what we can do technically about climate change, you know, with further developments to come as well, which is you know, lucky, lucky the tools we have right now aren't static. And, you know, here, here I am, I'm talking to you in a you know, fancy webcam into a, a great mic. And it's like, you know, the, the technology curve is still increasing. We're not flatlined there. We're not plateaued. So we, we know what we can do today and we hope we can do more 
in a year, in 10 years, in 20 years than we can today, but at least we know what we can and should be doing today. What's the problem then about climate change? Why is it worth kind of talking about it being an issue rather than just getting along with what we have to do? The problem is it's not clear to everyone what they should be doing today, what can be done today, or even that there needs to be something done. It's a communications problem, in short. And it's totally stealing from a good source here. But, you know, David Attenborough, I think earlier this year or last year in 2020, you know, time has been a flat circle lately. He's the one who came out and said quite publicly, like, look, climate change is a communications problem. And that's from the greatest nature communicator of our time. So don't take my word for it. (laughs) Believe David. Specifically, why podcasting is a good communications medium to use to talk about climate is that podcasting can be so profoundly personal. Like if you're listening to this in your headphones right now, I'm speaking, of course, you know, right into your ear. If there needs to be a pause, there can be. There's no time on the clock I'm looking at. There's no need to cut to commercial. There's no... 90 minutes of music in the next two hours that I have to meet as a radio DJ. If I want to talk to you earnestly about something, I can podcasting. If I want to leave in all the human emotions and leave space, I can as a podcast producer. And at the end of the day, we know that what's been really hard about COVID especially, right, is that we're we're really, really social people. And if we don't have that kind of contact with people for an extended amount of time, we suffer. Our mental health suffers. Our our actual physical health suffers. And podcasting is, there's, there's problems with it on the one hand because it can create a false sense of closeness and proximity and relationship with this person you're hearing in your head in a very intimate way, although you're not actually here in the room with me. I'm I'm there in the room with you, though. So on the one hand, there's a thing called parasocial behavior that can develop with podcasting where you, the listener, or me, me, the listener, develop a relationship with my favorite podcast hosts, and I think that they're my best friends, and I love listening to them, but they, of course, have no idea who I am. So there's a potential for abuse or misuse by people who aren't doing things the right way or for the right reasons, using the medium of podcasting, but that's because they're using the power of podcasting, not for good. But you can use the power of podcasting for good and apply it to climate. And talking about a very specific example, there's a lawsuit called Juliana versus the United States, where 21 plaintiffs, young people, sued the U.S. federal government for their right to a safe future and a safe climate. And through this podcast called, I think it was called No Ordinary Lawsuit, um, you heard those 21 plaintiffs' stories, you know, what inspired them to join this lawsuit, their stories as the lawsuit was ongoing. And this podcast published when there was news to share, but it didn't have to be an hour every week, rain or shine, news or no news. So in a lot of ways, uh, a podcast can be whatever it needs to be to match the story. 
And then you can have podcasts that are these weekly check-ins where just like you watch, you know, your parents or older folks, you know, might watch, you know, six o'clock news. There's always some podcasts you can turn to that are channels that curate and bring in multiple stories. And so there's always something going on in, in the space. And so there's places you can turn to that will always have something worth your time to listen to and to be informed about. But a particular story doesn't have to be released on a schedule if it's not that kind of story, if that makes sense. So let me just check I answered the question. Why do you believe podcasting is such an effective tool for communicating climate science and engaging with the climate crisis? It's because, to speak visually for a second in an audio medium, uh, the climate crisis is jagged. If we look at it as a graph, and again, because of these times we're all familiar with looking at graphs and dreaded exponential curves, overall, the climate crisis is an exponential curve, but each individual story at the human scale isn't. They rise and fall in intensity and pitch and relevance to our lives, and it's okay when something's not your own story, your own um, situation, to tune in and tune out as you yourself need to, or as you find yourself naturally, you know, having the time and space to learn about, care about, and empathize with someone else's, you know, story or issue or problem, and then having to withdraw yourself when things are a bit much and you need to withdraw back into yourself. So, Podcasting is a uniquely good medium for that, um, simply due to the technology. And I'll talk more about that on a future question. Question number two. How can students or everyday people in general start podcasting? Well, luckily I just did a workshop on this, so I've got you know questions kind of, well, answers to that question ready to go. Sorry I keep bumping this table, by the way. Hopefully you're not hearing that too much. Um... The tools have never been easier, luckily, for podcasting, and they weren't uh, complex to begin with, although they did have a learning curve to understand this new technology and what the things meant. Um, it's like you look at uh, uh airplane cockpit, and there's buttons everywhere, and there's a lot you could do wrong by pushing the wrong buttons in the wrong, wrong sequence. Podcasting was never like that. It was it worst. It was... A wall of levers and let's say eight levers you could just pull up or down or maybe you could put them in a middle position and if you didn't know what those were it was confusing but nowadays podcasting has gotten even simpler because we've got tools that are free and that are really optimized for people who are brand new to podcasting and have no idea what podcasting is they don't have a background in computers, <laughs> computer science and engineering and programming or, you know, nerdy stuff, which is where podcasting came from. So naturally, it has some of those elements to it. Uh, so these these platforms strip that all away and make it just as easy as uploading a photo to Instagram. You can upload a podcast episode 
to your own podcast feed, which is distributed to all podcast apps, and you can put an audio file in one place and anyone in the world using any podcast app can hear it, listen to it, well, can find it, download it, listen to it, and then subscribe to find future episodes to have them delivered to them really easily. What are those tools specifically? Well, they're Anchor, Sounder, and a few others, like just search free podcast hosting. And there's some great options. And then there's really low-cost options as well. And there's more expensive podcast tools. In my career in podcasting, I work at an enterprise podcast host, which deals with the largest podcast networks in the world and also broadcast companies. And so that's at a different category than you're at when you're just starting out with podcasting. To put on my nerd hat here really quickly, and just so you're across some new concepts potentially, the technology that podcasts are built on is the exact same technology that blogging was built on, and blogging might be already old or unknown to people you know, five or ten years younger than myself, but blogging was designed to be really, really easy, and it was a thing called really simple syndication, RSS, that was like the... Again, you might not be familiar with these terms, but, you know, HTTP or like it was the protocol, the technology that was sitting underneath blog distribution and now podcast distribution. This idea that you could create a a web page, a URL, one address where you put files and then anyone using any podcast app could find that page really easily find the available episodes, but also subscribe to get new episodes delivered to them with the notification saying, hey, new stuff's available. You don't have to ask people to come to you to find what you've got and what's new. By publishing a new episode, other people are pushed that new episode. It it goes to them. They don't have to keep checking back. So it's easy. It's really easy to start a podcast. You can now start a podcast within five minutes. That's the great thing about 2021 is that the technology is really matured to the level where you need no prior knowledge, no qualifications, and no interest in doing anything more than publishing a show to be able to have a podcast now. Question number three, what are some three to four of your favorite podcasts that you've produced, curated, or listened to? And you know, these can include climate-based ones or otherwise. So I've got a list here of four, given the choice between three or four favorite podcasts or podcasts to talk about. I will always choose the most I can. I love podcasts. They are my favorite medium. Uh, If you give me a choice between uh, my favorite book, my favorite computer game, video game, my favorite magazine, my favorite Netflix series, or my favorite podcast... I'd choose the podcast every time. Uh, there's nothing better for me as a way to en- enjoy free time than a good podcast and a long walk. I I love it, and I can't do that <laughs> with any of the other mediums. Like I've tried, I've tried to go for a walk while reading a book, <laughs> and it's dangerous to not only myself but other people around me. So here's four of my favorite shows, and just ones I want to talk about quickly. Uh, number one, I'd be remiss not to talk about the show I produce, Climactic. I mean, eh, of course, but I'll get it out of the way really quick. Um, why I like Climactic, 
and why I started it uh, 40 months ago. So like three and a half years ago, we launched on April 18th, 2018, which is Earth Day. Um, I started it because I simply wanted to listen to a podcast about like ground level, like grassroots, like my friends and my friends, friends, like my friends, aunt, like the level of normal people, what they were doing about climate change and how they were thinking about it, how they became to be aware. And then what happened next? Uh, stories of personal burnout, stories of firsthand climate grief, all at the ground level perspective, not the, oh, it's a famous person talking about climate, but it's the person that, you know, you could be friends with their cousin, but you've never met them before, but they're like really just personal and relatable and you understand where the people are coming from. So there wasn't a show like that that I could find. Uh, so Climactic was myself and my co-founder, Rich, who was uh, is in uh, regional New South Wales, and I was in Melbourne. So we both kind of alternated talking to normal people, um, myself talking to people in the city, Rich talking to people in the country. And very quickly, like within a year of doing that show and deciding to release a weekly show, we did a lot of interviews and sort of naturally from talking to people, I started to sort of ladder up where people would be like, oh, you should speak to so-and-so. And whenever someone says so-and-so, that's like a capital S, so, and so. It's not like your friend. It's like, oh, you should speak to Richard Di Natale, leader of the Greens Party. And I'm like, me? Why? Like, wh why would I? And what would I ask? But I did, and I'm glad I did. And I'm glad I spoke to, you know, people who have a name and a reputation and, you know, who've written books and who start started groups rather than like, you know, volunteer groups. But what I was really enjoying a lot more than me being the one to do those interviews was people were coming along who wanted to make content. And, you know, I mean, I hate that phrase, right? But people wanted to do interviews. They wanted to make a show. They didn't know where to start. And so I was like, well, I've got this show. It's a weekly show. I need to put something out every week, rain or shine. I'm struggling to keep up with the amount of conversations I can have. Some weeks I was having three, four, five recorded chats. Um, some weeks life was busy. So, but I was still putting out an episode every week. And that's carried on today. And I'm really, really proud of that fact. Um, just learning how to be like, okay always an eye on next Saturday, what's coming out, what's being released. So other people started jumping on and basically we passed the mic and Climactic became not my podcast or Rich's podcast or both of our podcasts about what we wanted to talk about. Climactic became a platform itself. It's going to be really relevant to Student Voice Network, which is a platform for people to tell their stories, learn how to use their voice, and how to collaborate with others to raise their voice. So Climactic became uh, basically a one podcast podcast network where the podcast itself wasn't just one thing, but a collection of things. And then the one show became multiple shows. And then here we are with 20 plus shows that are released on the 
collective and that's across australia and new zealand i've really still got i my my sights are still set on a uh sort of south pacific trans-pacific pan-pacific collective where it's not only from the ground stories from australia and new zealand we you know with various intersections like you know the doctor's Sorry, uh, Doctors of the Environment Australia has a podcast on Climactic. Um, a building consultancy has a show on Climactic. They're always like something and climate. I want those kind of shows from Tonga and Samoa and Fiji and not like to hear about the stories from our Pacific Island neighbors on the news, hear about it from an ABC journalist. I want to hear about it from people themselves. And podcasting is easy these days. It's easier than it's ever been. So that's why I like Climactic, is it's grown, and yet it's not at its potential yet, I feel strongly. I'm going to really rush through these next three. Song Exploder is a wonderful show. It's on Radiotopia. You should go listen to it right now. Uh, Song Exploder is uh, an artist, musician, uh, talking about one of their songs, a specific track, and by exploring the origins of how a track was made, the instrumentation, you know, like what you're hearing in the track, why you're hearing what you're hearing in the track, and the way that this podcast puts together the demos, like you actually hear uh, an artist recording a voice memo into their phone, you get to hear that voice memo of like the original concept for the idea of the track and then sort of track it along as it produces and as it gets produced as it's developed um hear individual instrument tracks like hey the drums are really interesting in this because of this and then you get to hear that drum track and you get to hear about what's interesting about it and why it's interesting and then you find yourself at the end of the episode listening to the whole uh, the whole track in full and you hear things in it that you would never hear otherwise, and I just love it. Song Exploder is now a show on Netflix. It's had two seasons. It, there's going to be more. It's really, really good. I'd highly recommend checking it out. So, one of my favorite podcasts. And so then I was like, ah, I'll make one of those. So I made a show called Artbreaker, which has now become a platform as well for other people to explore how climate and art intersect how climate awareness and engagement affects a creative person when they're making something. If if their work has kind of a, like a, an explicit connection to how they're feeling about climate change or, or a more subtle connection to how they're feeling about climate change. Um, basically, how climate is showing up in, in art that we in, in surprising ways. Uh, so we've talked to artists, visual artists, uh, graphic novelists, musicians, poets, authors. And that's really fun. That's that's a really, really, really fun show to get to do and, and sort of spend time, like I was saying before, in a really tortured, long-winded way. Um, it's really nice getting to spend as much time on something as you need to get it to where you want it to be. Although that's a trap. Like, look out for getting stuck and and never releasing like i've got some episodes i really need to release that i just haven't yet because they're not there yet but it's been six months <laughs> so um art it's very good i'd recommend checking it out and uh fourth 
I've got two more questions after this. I really will speed up, but this is really fun. Um, I would not spend this much time thinking about and expressing these things if I was just writing. So this works for me. Um, the fourth of my four shows is A Positive Climate, and that's a show that's distributed on the Nova podcast network. And Nova is also you know, a major radio network in Australia. Um, a Positive Climate is returning for its second season uh, later this month, October 12th. And I'm really, really chuffed to be the producer on that show. And what that means is I, um, I'm there for the recordings and I'm making sure everything's going well. And then as soon as we've got those recordings, I take them away and I do the edit on them. And then I talk with the hosts about, well, should we move this around? Is this too long? Do we want this? Do we want that? Um, I try to sneak in there a bit more kind of production-y stuff sometimes, you know, like some sound effects or like a, an excerpt from an earlier episode if it's relevant, like sort of trying to elevate it from being a interview show where all you hear is the interviewer and the interviewee, uh, which isn't a bad thing. Like a good interview is very, very good, but there's simply a lot of them. And when you start, you know, when you're into season two and you've got such a good body of work from season one to refer back to uh, every episode, you have to assume there's new people listening who've never listened before and who otherwise might not know about the great episodes of season one. So um, always take a chance to plug something. Um, so, yes, producing that is a lot of fun. I am not the host. There's two wonderful co-hosts who do a great job. I get to focus on just the audio and making that sound as good as I can and make the episode as good an episode as I can, but I don't have to be on the hook for my voice being on it, recording tape, anything like that. So really enjoying being part of that team, making that show. And I gotta say, you know, I didn't study for any of this stuff. I'm, I'm an indie publisher. Um, so getting to work on something that's on the Nova network is validating and exciting. Um, it's not the be-all and end-all. That's not what success means to me, but it's a moment that uh, it's nice to celebrate, I guess. Question four, what is your favorite part of your job? Well, speaking as the publisher of the Climactic Collective, I really enjoy being kind of a, a producer at large. I might not I don't work on each individual show, but when I listen and I've got feedback, I first ask if I can give that feedback because you don't want to be the person that gives unsolicited feedback. If someone's not ready to hear something, that's fine because you might not be right. That advice you give might not be right. It might not be received in the right way as well as a risk. So always ask first before you just tell someone what you think, especially if it is, you know, critical. Uh, rather than just effusive, glowing, positive praise. Um, getting to do that, though, basically encouraging others and, and helping them do better, I really, really, really enjoy that. And and the reason why is I didn't start Climactic because I wanted to be a podcaster. I started Climactic because I wanted to listen to a show like that. And now that that exists and other people are active in making it, I just get to be a fan of it. And as a fan, I want it to be as good as it can be. So, yeah, I, I get to, um, I, I got to scratch my own itch and I continue to do that. 
So that's what I enjoy the most. And and getting to hear stories that I otherwise wouldn't have. That's pretty cool. And last question. Thanks for hanging in there. How did you end up where you are today? In lockdown and age of 31 in Auckland? I ended up where I am today uh, from lots of listening to audio as a kid. Like I spent thousands, tens of thousands of hours listening to audio. You know, in my 31 years, I, I, it's, it's an easy bit of math to do. I've spent at least three or four hours a day on average listening to spoken word audio, not, not music, but podcasts or if not podcasts, pre-podcasts, then, um, audiobooks and talk radio. So after a lot of that, as a kid, always with headphones on, being homeschooled helped with that. And then in my teens and my early 20s, I had a lot of jobs where I could listen to audio, either with headphones on or being a courier driver, driving around, uh, being a forklift operator. A lot of those kind of jobs where I could have headphones on and listen to, you know, a politics discussion, a history lecture, a debate while doing otherwise, you know, menial, manual labor. Uh, my brain got to go elsewhere, which was really, really lucky. On top of that, I, I got to where I was today because of a big cushion of privilege. I, I will say, you know, I, I had time to work on my hobbies, so I, I wasn't so exhausted at the end of a day or I, or my weekends weren't already full. Uh, so I, I had the chance to mess around and make audio and go out and experiment and have conversations with people and, you know, record stuff that'll never see the light of day because it was terrible. But like, you've got to, you got to do that. You've got to spend some time making stuff that no one's going to hear. And I had that ability. I had that luxury. I had that, that privilege and that, um, spare capacity that wasn't already taken up by other things. Um, another huge thing for me, though, was I asked for time from the people I, I really admired and respected and wanted to learn from and, and emulate. And, uh, you know, that was like for a cup of coffee. Um, and the people I asked were really kind and generous and they gave me some of that time and they also were kind enough. And this is a big one to show me that they were human themselves and they were fallible. And just because they were like the voice I heard in my headphones when I listen to podcasts doesn't mean they were on another level or on another plane from me. Like they were a lot more like me than I would have thought from listening to them. And that like pick the people who you look up to and you respect carefully and a good choice will go out of their way to leave in the humanity when they give you advice or they tell you stories because they'll talk about the embarrassing moments or the times where they made mistakes because they 100% happen to everyone and beware people who are and you're going to have this yourself like if you start in this space and you make anything 
someone's going to come to you and be like, oh, what, what advice would you give me? How did you do this? It's amazing. Like, don't gloss over. Don't, don't, don't leave out the humanity, I guess, when you get asked those kind of questions. And look out for people when you ask them for advice that do leave that out. Um, I wrote this down, so sorry this is reading, but if the people you admire and respect are kind enough and brave enough to be human and show you how you're more like them than you think, then you've picked those people well. And that'll help, because we're all human, and we all have good days and bad days, and having someone share those bad days with you, well, that makes for a good podcast, honestly. Um, and there should be more of that. Like, there is, I can name, you know, there's there's probably hundreds of podcasts out there now that are like, share your biggest failures, talk about your embarrassing moments, but... Like, it's a good, good thing. Um, humility is a big part of community. And people who take themselves too seriously, well, there are plenty of people like that in podcasting and and who have success in it. But I'd advise against setting out to be one of those people. <laughs> I think we uh, we have a lot more fun talking about our shortcomings and failures and mistakes uh, we have more fun when we don't need to be on guard against people finding out who we are. So, yes, that's how I ended up where I am today. And those are really, really fun questions. And I greatly enjoyed it. And um, it's a real privilege to get asked. And I hope, you know, that the edited, refined, better version of these answers, <laughs> more succinct, I hope you know, young people who read these do take something away and, yeah, they're encouraged to create and make stuff themselves. Thank you very much. I'm going to go back to Facebook and actually look at the live stream. Yay, cool. 38 minutes. All right, I better end that there. Thanks, everybody. Have a good one. Bye.